0: hello everybody welcome to another episode of cb bowman live challenges of the c-suite i'm so happy you're here today i'm so happy i'm here today and you know we have as always a special guest so but let me tell you a secret about this special guest you're gonna laugh we have known each other for Oh, I can't, you know, I'm dyslexic, I can't do the math, but I think it's 2013. That sounds about right. Yeah, and we have never met. Thank you, (laughs) Zoom. (laughs) It's insane. And we run in the same circles. What I mean, you know, well, you know, that happens all the time. But thanks to Zoom, now we can actually see and talk to people that we've previously only spoken to on the phone. So today, I'm really, really honored to have my friend Jonathan on the show. And so listen, this is what Jonathan does. He is the CEO of AIR Consulting. Now, I don't know if anybody out there doesn't know AIR. I mean, come on. It's like not knowing CB Bowman, right? So (laughs) uh, air consulting is a phenomenal company for executive coaches. And they do all kinds of specialist things They, you know, they uh, have a great assessment, they have incredible staff. And I'll just mention that several of their members are members of the Association of Corporate Executive Coaches. So, you know, those are the really special <laughs> coaches, right? Cause you know, in order to become a member, you have to be a master level coach. So his company is no joke. So we are really excited to have him on. And I just found out today, this man has four children in this day and age. and new one was just born that's right what and he is a hockey player i mean where do we hear that in the coaching field so my god he's a power pack right so with that (laughs) i am going to introduce jonathan dr jonathan how are you
1: um that was that was the best introduction I've ever had, CV. <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm, um, I'm doing well. And um, in the last uh, three minutes and nine seconds, I've had a hockey stick, um, you know, in, in terms of uh, from well to just really, really excited and happy to be here on your show. And uh, thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Hey, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. You know your background, and uh, before you even open to air.
1: Sure. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> where do we start? Audience, look at that. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I'll start with. Um, there's there's two things that really activate me as an individual. Uh, well, I should say three things. Um, one is, is just my love of people and, and really um, helping others. Secondarily, I really like problem solving. And um, and I've, I've known that about myself from a young age, and I'm a very integrative thinker um, and, and like to solve problems using that capacity. and. Um, you know, the third thing about me is I really like to innovate and think outside of the box. So, um, you know, maybe that's the oppositional side of me, but if you say, go that way, I'm gonna be the one that says, hmm, you sure about that? Maybe there's a different way, or maybe we go a little bit that way, but then this way. So, um, you know, when, when those three things converge, executive coaching um, is really like the, <laughs> the sweet spot of, of convergence. Uh, my, my penchant for problem solving, uh, my, you know, strong passion for people and, and, and helping others. And, um, and, and also, you know, my, my, uh, I get very energized by exercising my creativity and innovation. And, um, and so the journey really began when I decided I wanted to be a, a clinical psychologist, which also hits on, on those areas as well. Um, though what I'm doing right now, I mean, I, I'm, I'm truly in the sweet spot, but at that time I uh, really gravitated towards clinical psychology and studied psychology in undergrad and uh, came out to Philadelphia from NYU where I studied um, to uh, pursue my doctorate at Widener University and learned all the orientations and just loved everything from the early psychoanalytic to modern psychodynamic, to CBT, um, to behavioral psychotherapy, um, every flavor, right? <laughs> there were 31 flavors. Um,
0: as the clinical psych in the coaching field, are you, were you part of Division
1: 13? I was part of Division 13. Um, I have been less active. Let's say, um, so uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm confusing. Division thirty-nine is the it's division thirteen for sure. Yeah, Society of Consulting Psychology. I'm, I'm um, still still very active in that
0: division. Did you, did you know Dr. Bob Lee?
1: Um, I did for for yeah you know, a brief period about two years um, before he he passed. Yeah,
0: he was my mentor. Wow. wow. Yeah, uh, he's a,
1: a tremendous. A tremendous person, a real. Oh,
0: gosh. Hey, you know, the audience knows that what happens, this is a real live broadcast. What happens is I get calls during the broadcast. So they just bear with me and I try to hide my phone, but it doesn't really work even when I turn it off because this iPhone 12S is smarter than me. Um, so
1: <laughs> no worries.
0: I, and when I hide it, it comes through on my my uh, computer anyway.
1: But no <laughs> worries at all. Problem. No it's worries. Like,
0: you know. So anyway, you need to take a call, CB. Yeah. So you we're, did we're, know uh, Bob Lee before he passed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He was, and he was a, a you know real pioneer in in um, consulting psychology, obviously. And, uh, and a very prominent member in, in the Division 13 Society of Consulting Psychology. So, yeah, Well,
0: I have a fun story to share with you about him. So I met him. Oh, gosh, I was a kid just starting out in the coaching space and I met him at some conference and I had heard his name and I said I walked over to him and I said, um, Mr. Lee, I'd, li- I'd like to get to know you. Um, I'm, I'm new and, and I, it took all the guts that I had to walk. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he said, we'll just put something on my calendar. Like, and I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. So then I had a meeting on his calendar. We went out to dinner and I thought, here I am, this young, hot woman going out <laughs> with this older man. And I thought. I don't know if this is kosher, right? <laughs> so during dinner, we're talking and he looks at me, he says, what do you wanna do with your life? And I'm like, um, uh, what do you mean? You know?" And he said, what do you wanna do? And I said, I wanna be rich. <laughs> I wanna be successful and I wanna own a house. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, well, that'll never happen. Now the audience, he he had an incredible personality, right? So I looked at him and I thought, who the heck is this man telling me this, right? So then we lost touch and um, many years later, I was published in the Wall Street Journal and I was writing and I was doing this and that. Um, And I get this card in the mail from him and he just wrote, "I'm watching you." I'm <laughs> like, "Okay, what does that mean?" So then I, I just continued uh, on my little journey, um, purchased my first house, um, and he called me up. And at this point, I think I had a CEC, and he said so you've got this association. Hmm. And I said, yes. He said It's for coaches. Huh? And I said, yeah. He said, all right, keep going. <laughs> a couple of years later, this was about two years before he passed. He called <laughs> me up and he said, I've decided to become a member of your association. And what? I like dropped the mic. I said, Well, you'll have to pay, Bob.
1: (laughs) You didn't give him to friends and family?
0: No, I didn't, I didn't. And he started laughing so hard and he said, I knew you were gonna be a tough broad. (laughs) I said, yeah, but you told me I wasn't gonna have any of this. He said, if I told you that you would, you wouldn't have worked as hard to get what you've got. Wow. And I said, okay, well, your bill is this. And do you know he sent me a check? And within a year, he had passed. And he was just amazing. Yeah. I would call him in between, you know, to ask him a question um, as a mentor. And he was always there, always.
1: It's a beautiful story, CB. I, you know, what occurs to me when you share that, I mean, there's a lot that occurs to me, but I remember, you know, when I was a rookie and the first conference I ever went to and looking up at, you know, the gods of our, of our field. Yes. Saying, oh my God, like, if I approach him, what should I say? And how should I say it? And oh my, you know, before, before I, after I you know, spun out in my head, the person's already gone, right? Yes. <laughs> and I'm already preparing for, you know, day two. And, um, you know, all of that that fear and hesitation, I find that you just got to blast through that and go straight to it. Because as you experienced with, with Bob Lee, he's like, sure. Like, let's connect, let's go out to dinner. Yes. Um, you know, I had, I had a similar instance going back to when I, so, so back when I decided I wanted to pursue clinical psychology at Widener university, it's a society program. Society programs are more, um, clinically oriented than, um, research oriented. So you get started either after your first year or on, in the case of Widener on day one, you're out there seeing patients. And um, I, you know, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I mean, I loved the field, and I uh, and I thought it was the perfect fit. So I thought, here, here, this is what I should do. Um, I should really experience um, what it's like, at, at the very least, to be a patient. And no, no. So I, uh, so I got in touch with Irving Yalom, who is you know, the, the real uh, pioneer in existential psychology um, and, and group therapy. And, you know, I had all of his books, I was just totally into this guy. And I said, hey, I've, you know, I'm, I'm going to grad school, I've got no money, um, but I really want to experience what it's like to be a patient. Um, I'm sure I've got some issues, um, my wife and I are coming to San Francisco, uh, for, we were going for our honeymoon, um, to do the, the West coast. And he agreed to see me at a discounted rate and, um, and we got into it, but you know, it took, and I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm very, you know, in retrospect, uh, very proud of myself that I mustered up yes. the courage to, uh, <laughs> to call the, like, you know, I mean, in my opinion, the best psychotherapist um you know in the US at least, uh, to get a to get a session. And what I learned from that session, I wrote down every word afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I would encourage any you know when I when I mentor um you know people and I and I network with early career psychologists or even folks who are still in grad school, my advice is like you know, go big or go home. Like, right. you've got nothing to lose. And by the way, you know, people like CB, you know, myself, maybe, you know, people that that you might perceive as being hard to access. Um, we love it. Like we we, we wow. want to support and help and guide and mentor. Yeah. And so um, I love that story. And, and of course, Bob Lee is, you know, he's a legend.
0: I, I miss him so much. And, but, you know, it doesn't always work out. I remember there's somebody that we both know I won't name <laughs> who I approached uh, when I was a rookie. And I said, would you mentor me? And, and his answer was, no, I don't have the time. And then um, 2019, I was in London with Marshall Goldsmith uh, to accept his uh, Top 50 Leading Coaches Award.
1: Congratulations.
0: Thank you. And he was there also accepting an award.
1: And- <laughs> I love that. <laughs> hey, what's up? <laughs> How are you doing?
0: I got one of these too.
1: That's great. And there was a cocktail
0: party after, and um, he walked over to me and he said, "And my my We weren't married then. My soon-to-be husband was with me. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, hey, I've heard wonderful things about your conference. Some of my coaches have been there. Um, I hear you're doing incredible work. I would love to come to one of your conferences. And I looked at him and I said, do you remember when I called you to mentor me to to help me get started? And he said, uh, not exactly. And my <laughs> husband-to-be said, clearly she didn't need you. And I thought, that's the man I'm marrying. <laughs>
1: nice. Nice. Now there's, there's got to be a special rate for that person. <laughs> 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 you know, see, I mean, it's it's interesting. Like there's, you know, I, I have the same experience I've had. You know, you, you make yourself vulnerable. Yes. And, you know, hopefully... Fifty-one percent or more of the time, you know, you get a favorable answer. But sometimes you don't, right? And yes. and it stings. And 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 sometimes that just inhibits somebody forever. By the way, like, okay, I, I, that was a mistake. I I am never going to do that again. Like, I, let me take small risk, not big risk. And um, but what I've what I've found in my own personal experience is that when when that kind of stuff happens to me, after I get over the initial, you know sting yes it's like okay now i know what i don't want to be like
0: yes and you know it it also i think for you as i i know it's for me it becomes a driver it's like oh yeah you said no to me okay (laughs) watch me (laughs) yeah it's so bizarre but you know uh I feel bad and I don't know psychologically, uh, the people that get stopped by the nose and the people that are driven by the nose, it, it's, uh, what makes them that way? And I'm sure, you know, so this is called challenges of the C-suite. I'm sure that the clients that you've coached, there's been a fair number of CEOs who have had the response of no. What gets them through that is the question.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the the easy answer would be, you know, resilience, right? Somehow, the uh, the individuals who are able to persist in the face of no and and constant no and and constant rejection. Um, Somehow they've they've mustered the resilience to to persevere until they get to a yes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know, sheer resilience alone is. I mean, you could have a lot of resilience and just keep going straight at a wall and then back up yeah. once you've you know healed and then go straight into the wall again. <laughs> so you know, there's definitely an element of um, of of strategic thinking that. Mm-hmm. Um, that needs to be coupled with um, with that resilience. And, and strategic thinking absolutely requires a learning mindset. So, you know, if you're not learning from the failures and the mistakes, and oftentimes, and it, it's always in retrospect, because in the moment, the mistakes feel <laughs> terrible. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, Oftentimes those mistakes and those failures are are the most important experiences because um, inherent in those mistakes are learnings that can be extracted. And those learnings are then used as information when you go to strategize, right? So, So, you know, I think the, the bottom line, it's really that strategic thinking with the the resilience that um, w- with an underlying learning mindset that really separates the successful C- CEOs and C-suite leaders from from those that, that kind of flame out.
0: So I wanna examine this word resilience because we're hearing it ad nauseum. Yeah. Do we really know what it means? And you're a great person to ask the question because you were, you know, Your whole body of work is the C-suite, but more so you have four children. How are you teaching them to be resilient? What does that really mean? Because that information helps coaches teach this to see other CEOs and to employees that need to survive the CEO, which it may not be particularly user friendly yeah, so what does it mean? Let's start with it, and then how do you teach it?
1: I mean resilience is it is somewhat of a broad word, right mm-hmm. and it if um, the strength of my arm lies in the uh, the fitness of my bicep and exercising that bicep makes my arm stronger then, you know, resilience represents the muscle of, of the whole, you know, human. And, you know, this is all my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it describes the fitness of, of the human, um, you know, may, may not exclusively physically, but, but certainly a, a strong component would be physical, um, but especially psychological. Right. And and mindset. So, you know, if if resilience represents the the sort of total muscle Mm
0: -hmm.
1: of of a person, I think it is um, a combination of things that I would consider as core. So there's like core resilience and then there's like the more periphery also very important the, the shell or the outer layer of resilience that we're exercising on a day-to-day basis so at the core level I've got I mean you mentioned my, my children I mean that because that's where the core gets built right right um, and if you had a bad childhood you could always you know I was gonna say patch it up it's it's more than patch it up because there's <laughs> structural you got to get in there it's the core right yeah. um, but you can you know people I'm a firm believer that people, People can change. People can change for the better, right? No matter how old you are, and that's a phenomena that we know with neuroscience, with plastic—you know, neuroplasticity. The brain is designed to, um, in many cases, recover and and to um, and to adapt. Um, But at that core level, right? That's about the quality of relationships and what does a relationship mean? And you know, going back to the attachment theorists and in, um, in, uh, in psychology and in the literature, you know, how at a fundamental level, can I trust somebody? Can I rely on somebody? Um, and my relationship and orientation to people um, would reside at that at that core, um, as would be like principles, you know, morals, principles, Um, these are the kinds of things that when life gets messy, you can fall back and think, all right, what did I learn? What are the principles that can help guide the decision point that I'm going to make? And that stuff gets learned early at an early age. And so as a parent, right, if I'm always, uh, you know, I mean, one of the, you know, I guess tragedies of, of, of modern day parenting is, um, you know, arguably, and I don't, Mean to generalize, but a lot of parents don't um, enable the conditions for their children to develop critical thinking. To develop critical thinking, you've got to be able to have a conversation and discuss the options and retrospect on things and to learn. Um, Even though it takes time And even though it can be frustrating and um, and even though those conversations can be uncomfortable, because the easy thing would be just to say this is what you need to do. Right. Mm. Uh, But, you know, to the extent that a child can learn to um, to make decisions um, based on their own thinking, that's going to be tremendous for them. Um, as they grow. And by the way, as coaches, CB, you know, that's why, that's the power of asking questions and creating the container that we create. We're exercising that critical thinking. We're helping somebody develop and and exercise. It's like going to the gym, their capacity to think about their options and their decisions and their choices.
0: So, as a parent, how do you how do you help a child become resilient? How do you help a child uh, in making choices, um, and then how does that translate as an adult in the C suite office? So what I'm getting mm-hmm. at is take a look at let's go back to the Tyco's and Enrons, right? Mm-hmm you've got the C-suite office and these people are clearly making wrong decisions or not making any decisions, which no decision becomes a wrong decision, right? What separates them from the Alan Malalis of the world that really go in, clean up a company and make it run like clockwork.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, in the case of the Tyco's and Enron's, you know, there's a variable that makes it tough to to do an apples to apples comparison because because they're they're really like there's a moral vo- yeah. you know, vacuum there, right? So um, now, you know, if, if you extract that, um, you know, the moral. An ethical lapse, mm-hmm. there's, there's certainly a leadership style that I'm sure you know became pervasive that probably you know discouraged asking questions, uh, you know probably um, reinforced a psychologically unsafe environment um, for people, Probably rewarded the wrong behaviors um, and and punished the right behaviors. So you know that's where bad leadership probably takes hold in those in those instances. Um, but I think you know as far as like if there's a a parallel between you know say great parenting, which by the way is is leadership, right? It's,
0: that,
1: yeah. It's it's definitionally leadership. Um, And, um, and say, being a CEO, I think, I think it comes down to appreciating the delicate balance between two polarities. So you have to be, as we just talked about, like, as coaches, we create that container, that safe space to explore to engage in in, um, inquiry. Mm -hmm. That's super important but there's also times as a parent and by the way as as a as a coach Mm -hmm. um, much more so as a ceo um where you got to be directive where you got to actually say this is the principle and this is the direction we're going to be going in right and i say the delicate balance because um they I, i think that you can't have just one or the other, you know, the more, the older I get, the more I I am able to appreciate the, um, the complexity of polarities and how you can't just be focused on execution, but you also gotta be focused on strategy. You can't just be focused on great relationships You've got to be focused on driving results and performance Um, as a coach. You can't just be focused. You can't be a hundred percent exclusively. How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? What do you think about that? Those questions are great and they can unearth a lot, but there's also the importance. Again, this is my opinion of a coach being able to bring their expertise and be somewhat directive at times as well. Right. And I think that's a lot. I mean, that's if I think about your organization, uh, you know, well, the value, the, the, the surface level value prop is that, you know, you got coaches who've got tremendous business background. Why is that important? Well, there's a lot of reasons why that's important from a credibility standpoint and this and that. But it's also important because they've been there, done that, and, and they have what to offer. Yes. Right not at the expense of somebody's free will and their own critical thinking, but um, there's a tremendous, they can be a tremendous resource and to not share that would be withholding, right? Absolutely. And so I think that, that you know, going back to, um, if I'm sure you've gotten a, a sense of me now, I can I can talk your ear off to CB. I
0: love it. I'm I sorry, it.
1: You, said, you said living room chat, <laughs> um, but you know, if, if I'm the bottom line it, I think great leaders are able to um, balance the dynamic tension between um, polarities. And there's a number of them. There's a number of contradictions and, and, and not great leaders tend to go, they swing to one side or the other, and, um, and then they live in the extremity of one side or the other. And it it can be at the expense of their leadership. And I think the same applies to parenting as well.
0: Yeah, I think think what we're talking about is courage, right? Um, As a coach. And I don't think we think enough about courage as it applies to coaching. Mm. We take the road more traveled, which is to say, ask questions. Your role as a coach is not to solve, but to show the E how to solve through asking questions. And I've always said, if you come, if you apply to ACEC with that methodology, you will not get in mm-hmm. because the same manner, if you go to a CEO and you sit in his office and you say, so what's the problem? <laughs> blah, 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 and what do you think? Blah, 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 and what's, what's your solution? You will probably be shown the door in a second and a half, or as like we used to say, a, a New York minute. Um, <laughs> you know, you've got to bring it. Um, yeah are looking for not only questions, but direction. And you have to be able to balance it and you have to have the courage to go toe to toe with your client to challenge, because in many of the cases, the CEO gets there and there is no one to challenge until it's too late.
1: Yeah. I, 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 drink my own Kool-Aid. I have a coach and even if she's wrong, in, in, you know, with the challenge I appreciate so much the challenge
0: <laughs> that is not an unexpected comment from you Jonathan and you know what
1: Stevie sometimes you know when 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 she's off that's actually I'm like you're off and here's why and then somehow in the here's why part that un, un, unearths or you know illuminates an insight that I didn't have right? yeah, And um, so the challenge is huge. Uh, and I think our job, you know, half the battle, of course, is designing the, um, the rapport and the coaching relationship. Yeah. Um, so that there is the sufficient trust in place to be able to challenge, right? so all those things that you think, oh, my God, I just want to go straight for the jugular. No, you've got to go through this through those important, crucial stages of contracting and and really. uh,
0: uh, I I think uh, our coaching field has been given a disservice to say the way to coach is only by asking questions.
1: Well, that's the safe. That's the safe play. Right, that's, that's playing it safe. That's not, that, that's your point around courage, yeah.
0: right? That, that directive part, being able to say to somebody, uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> however you want to say it, whether you want to say maybe you want to consider or just, no, that's not, that's not it. Mm. You have to have that courage to, to be directive, to say, this is the way that would support you best. Right. This is the way that you need to visit this. This is, and, and in some cases, as I've said to clients, no, this is just not going to work. Right. Um, and that takes a lot of moxie. I mean, (laughs) you have to pay your dues to get to that point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but I do think it's sad that we educate coaches not to be able to do that. Right? Yeah. And, and so that's why it was important to me when I designed ACEC to look for those kind of coaches. And I'll tell you what, here's the funny part. I don't have a coach, but every single member of ACEC, oh man, I step out of line. I am told. (laughs) Be careful what you ask for in life, right? That's great. (laughs) I remember uh, them telling me, uh, CB, you're getting in the way of the success of ACEC. Step (laughs) away. (laughs) What? (laughs) Wait, who do you think you're talking to? They knew exactly who they were talking to. And you know what? They were so right. (laughs) I have to admit it. Yeah. hey holly teska who is a member of acec mm-hmm. um and she was with right management for quite some while and she's written in two comments she says yeah. oh boy cb i have one up on you i met jonathan at executive coaching conference hosted by the conference board oh <laughs> holly okay <clears throat> holly and i love chatting each other we are you know sisters at the at the mind, uh, she is Holly Tesco. She is quite brilliant, a brilliant coach, right? And strong and tough as nails. I mean, she gets it. She gets it, right? Uh, Then she comments. I love the discussion about the nose. How some people are shut down by them versus those who push through to a yes. And yes, those no's have also made me think carefully about saying no to someone. Yeah, I could be a blocker to their future success. You know, I, I love that. That's the other side of the picture is learning when to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, and when when to cut the bullshit, let's face it, and say, okay, no. So now, Jonathan, what do you consider after this pandemic to be the most important uh, change that you've seen in the C-suite? And is it for good or not so good?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, CV. Um, I think like the current state right now from what I'm seeing, you know, with our clients and experiencing as a CEO myself is people are exhausted. Mm. People are super tired. And, you know, we talked about Zoom fatigue and then like straight up fatigue. And then I see this new word languishing that's coming. And, you know, I think people are just tired. Right. And, um, and that makes sense right? Because the world is just getting whiplashed. We're just getting whiplashed. Yes, um, in every direction, every everywhere, everywhere, you in, in every dimension of, um, of existence right now in, in sort of modern society, from, you know, political, to education, um, social, there's just so much um, whiplash. and And I think people are are tired and and in in the in organizational life right now, you know the big thing of course is all right. Well, we just went through a year about a year and a half of collective trauma, and um, we've had to learn all new ways of working, and now, now what? Now what? Do we radically change how we work? Do we go back? to the way things were in 2019? Do we try to establish some kind of new way of working that retains some of the key learns that we've experienced over the year and a half and integrates it with what we know worked um, you know, pre-COVID? And so leaders right now in the C-suite um, are exhausted, and they're also very preoccupied with how do I author the new way of working for my organization right now, sort of the, the, the you know, I mean, I'm speaking very much to the, you know, the U S audience on this call, because there's, there's parts of the world where, you know, it's, it's far less fortunate, um, it, you know, as far as vaccine rates and, and, and the, uh, the numbers, but, you know, for the most part, it seems like we're We're out of the woods, or at least the really, you know, challenging woods in the US. And so, um, you know, if you think about Maslow's triangle, we're going up the triangle now, to be able to think about, you know, our identity, our purpose, and how we work. And so, leaders are very much preoccupied with what, what that all means. Um, both conceptually and very concretely, right? Does that mean two days a week at work and the other days at home? If two days, is it Monday, Friday, or do we eliminate that? Cause then people are always gonna want to take the long weekend or yeah, it, it's um, all of these um, things are what C-suite leaders are preoccupied with. And, um, and then there's also a, uh, there's a, a sort of a third, variable here, which is enough, like, we need to, we need to cut through all the noise, and get back to work, and get focused, right, we need to focus on our business. And, um, and so the um, when I when I'm recommending to, to leaders right now is Get your ass on a vacation. <laughs> if you haven't taken vacation, you need to, a lot of leaders are em, operating on, on empty right now. Yeah. yeah, just on, on fumes. And so we need to get restored and then we need to get focused and then we need to, what is leadership? It's It's setting a vision, being very clear about that and communicating it and then mobilizing others towards that. That's leadership. Right. So we need to be bold in setting that vision and moving people towards that. And to do that right now, because it's so noisy and there's so much variance, not everybody's going to be on board with the vision. And this is where it's going to take a lot of strength, especially for leaders who are um, you know, who who are inclined, want everybody to love them and you know see leadership as a popularity contest you're not gonna win any popularity contests here because the decision you make, return to work, is gonna get some very excited and others are gonna be <laughs> really upset. And if you said hi- if you said hybrid, same thing. And if you said virtual, same thing. So it's sort of a no-win situation for leaders and they have to be bold and strong, but to do that, take vacation. <laughs> Get restored. The, I
0: like that point. But here's what I'm seeing. But first, I want to Mary said, she's another member of ACEC, uh, I love the discussion about critical thinking and decision making good insights from Jonathan. Well, okay, you're, oh, you're in popularity. <laughs> um, so Jonathan, here's what I'm seeing. I am seeing leaders are making some serious mistakes. Uh, and I, it's this, so we just came through not one pandemic, but five pandemics and we're not through them all. So we had, first of all, the COVID, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: we have mental health Mm -hmm. as a result of that, we have the economy, we have the environment and we have social justice all of which have hit together. And right now, what I see leaders doing is focusing on whether or not to bring people back into the office. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: That's not the focus area. What you're doing is you're ignoring what we just came through. Mm thinking it's over, it's not, it's not over, and it will happen again. And you haven't prepared your employees to deal with these things, because you're now setting it aside and say, Okay, it's time to get back to work and produce. Mm-hmm. The flip side that I'm hearing from some really senior employees is, I don't know if this company is where I wanna be. Because let's just take the diversity issue. Yeah. Social justice. I don't like how they responded to the killing of Floyd. And now they're saying, come back to work, let's forget that, let's focus on producing. No, I'm looking at the moral compass of this company, this company that ignored people dying from a a disease. Mm -hmm. This company didn't say, let me get enough shots for my employees to protect them. They didn't do that. Mm -hmm. So then you sit And you question, this company didn't have my back. They don't have the same beliefs that I have. Why do I wanna go back to the same thing, whether it's at home or by Zoom or a combination? Employees have now had a chance to look under the blanket. They've had time to peacefully, quietly look under the blanket and examine the virtues of the company that they're working for. Look, I have a client who said to me, CB, I don't think I wanna work at this company. This is a top Mm -hmm. tech company in the Mm -hmm. top position. And I said, why? And he said, I I don't like how they're handling social justice. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I said, well, what is it that you think you could do differently? And he said, well, uh, I'm very much involved with my synagogue and we are doing work to support the underserved. And I feel if I leave my job, I can do more work to support the underserved population. And I said, "Okay, let's examine this. Do you have enough money to support your family? His answer was yes. I said, okay. Do you feel if leaving this company will affect their beliefs and how they handle social justice? Or do you feel if you stayed and made a difference that you could affect the social justice and have money to support your cause and have time to support your cause. And he said, I never thought about it like that. I said, oh, well, let's examine that. One of the things that you have a concern is that their hiring records for people of color is dismal. Mm. They're in a position to hire people of color. You're in a position of making a difference. Is your decision to leave the right one? It becomes a challenging statement, but a statement that represents where this country is. People are saying, why do I need to work for this company? And because of how unemployment insurance is working right now, I go into Costco and I say, why don't you have the normal products on the shelf? And they're now saying it's a labor shortage Mark. Yep. So we think of people at the top making these kinds of decisions. But what's happening is people at the bottom are making these kinds of decisions. And companies are suffering radically. When Costco says to me there's going to be a food shortage, it's, it's time for me to pay attention. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you know? uh, why labor? I said, is yeah. it because of the pandemic? And they said, which pandemic? See, Costco keeps their eyes on the public, on the consumer, and they see what's coming. Whereas the companies that are supplying Costco are not seeing what's coming. They haven't addressed the five Pandemics. They're worried about whether or not they're going to be liked if they pull people back in or let them work by Zoom or combination. That's not where the problem is. Yeah. That's my thinking as I examine what's going on.
1: Yeah. I I think the, um, I I work with a CEO right now who navigated the pandemic beautifully. Uh, He, He's an old pandemic.
0: Which pandemic?
1: The, the health the health crisis. Okay. Uh, not the mental health, but the you know the the um mm-hmm. the coronavirus, and um. You know they they were extremely generous and conscientious and handled did everything everything right, um. But he said you know and, the, and his greatest concern is. It's the transitions that kill us, right? That's what breaks us. And so, you know, to your point, CB, we're going from the pandemic or the five pandemics, um, and there's, you know, so that say that's like where we were, or arguably, you know, where we still are, to this new place. And there's the transition. And I think what I'm hearing from you is you can't just force it. You can't just say get back to work and start producing you know september 15th is the date yeah you yep. know you're here you're out right and and i think there's a lot of wisdom um in, in in what you've shared there because um what we know about trauma is it needs you need to process it and make meaning of it yeah and um just pretending like it doesn't exist or flicking the switch uh, that's not, that's not making meaning that's repressing, um, yeah,
0: because when it happens again and it will, uh, I'm going along with Billy Gates there, you know, we're in a five year spread. Um, no, you've lost all the trust that you've tried to recuperate mm-hmm. and it's going to be worse. It's yeah we're not out of the woods we're we're a different society we're in a society where disease and politics and famine and social justice make us so much closer that there is no escape there is only solution that we need to find yeah mm-hmm. not to be debbie downer here but there's I'm only saying this because there is an opportunity for a solution. I'm not saying there's no opportunity for a solution.
1: Yeah, well, I think I, it's a really important point, and I, and I think if if you, it ties into the work we do, um, whether it's individually in one-to-one executive coaching, yes, at the team level with team coaching, or more systemically you know, some sort of like culture initiative. Um, But, you know, ultimately we live in systems that are nested, um, you know, from organization to team, a team of teams, team, individual. And each aspect of of those nested systems is experiencing the transition from point A to point B. And therefore each requires um, a mechanism for making meaning in order to get to the other side successfully.
0: Yes. I agree.
1: And that's where I think, you know, it, you know, executive coaching, um, is been a lifeline for so many people. Um, yeah, it's always been that way, but, but particularly right now, And um,
0: it's interesting that you said that. Sorry to interrupt mm -hmm. because at ACEC, we had all kinds of special meetings. And during the pandemic, we had Saturday morning fireside chat. Now I can't get anybody to come to anything Mm -hmm. because all of the members are totally booked out with clients. I'm so proud of them. I'm so happy because it speaks to about you are gonna be so needed because there's so much you're gonna have to do after this pandemic. You need to position yourself so that you can respond to the call of action. And I think 90% of our members did that. And now it's like trying to get an appointment with a specialist. You can't get in to see them.
1: That's right. Listen, it speaks to the demand and it speaks to the real need right now. And, And by the way, team coaching and teams coming back together, processing everything that's happened, refining our identity and purpose. That's huge, huge right now. That's something that I would, It's like my number one recommendation to leaders right now is you gotta do something for the team.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so. Um,
0: yeah, Dr. Catherine Carr, who wrote one of the, gospel books on team coaching as a member of ACEC. I can't even get a call into her these days. (laughs) It's insane. But hey, I wanna talk about, first of all, Mary says, thank you, CB and Jonathan. I have to transition to another call. I'll continue to reflect on the five pandemics and the bottom up decisions that are in motion. Okay. I wanna talk to you about an instrument that your company designs. Mm that Robin mentioned to me that you're using with executive coaches, um, with clients. Yeah. So tell us about it.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, we have, we actually have three instruments. We have a, a, a 360 tool that measures um, the um, all the things that a, a regular 360 would measure, but also the dynamic um, nature of the leader and their ability to um, how effective they are at managing the polarities uh, that, that, that are inherent in leadership. We have a team effectiveness survey, which is uh, a tool that is a diagnostic for teams. Um, very popular right now because teams want to kind of get a baseline of where they're at um, and, and very useful um, when it comes to team coaching. And then the tool that Robin might be, is likely referring to, is the Coaching Mindset Index or CMI. And the Coaching Mindset Index is an is an assessment tool that um, can be used to learn what your coaching style is um, as a coach. But it doesn't have to be coach with a capital C. It also could be as a manager coach. And so, you know, am I overly directive, overly inquisitive? Am I managing both of those? Well, um, there's a push-pull, uh, overarching push-pull framework, and different strategies that fall along those two dimensions, a uh, push and pull. And a coach who takes this will be able to see, you know, what their style is, what their preferred strategies are, all in pursuit of becoming, you know, uh, the, the type of coach that they want to be. Mm-hmm. So it's a great tool for self awareness and taking a baseline. Um, we use it a lot in uh, leader as coach types of programs with organizations that are looking to instill uh, coaching skills within their organization. And, and a lot of coaches um, benefit from it as well.
0: I love it. But I want to talk to you about the team effectiveness right now, because mm-hmm. it seems like, you know, we've just had a great discussion about the pandemics. It, we are talking about teams coming together. What, what do you feel are the most important factors to allow teams to be successful? And does it differ by industry?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. So you know based on our on our research, there's two primary variables that are Oh wait, are hold on.
0: Robin says leader as coach is the one she's talking about. Okay. Uh, that so
1: that for the, the coaching mindset index. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know as far as the you know team effectiveness survey that we that we designed and, and, and train people on and, and sell commercially. Um, there, there are two broad areas that we measure. And one is what we call team culture and the other is what we call team productivity. So team culture is how does it feel to be on this team and how effectively are we engaging with each other and relating to each other? And um, there's, there's three sub-dimensions to team culture trust and safety which is a lot like psychological safety um cohesion right how how unified um how much pride do we take in being a a team and dialogue how effectively are we able to um you know talk about things not just easy things but also difficult things um, and manage conflict within the team so those are the three sub-dimensions of team culture or how it feels to be on the team and then you have team productivity which is how effectively and efficiently we're getting stuff done. And that's all about alignment. How aligned are we in in our, um, you know, from our purpose to our priorities, to our goals and execution, how effectively are we executing and communicating with each other? And then learning and adapting. Like, are we learning from our mistakes? That's something we talked about, you know, right off the bat in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Are we retrospecting and learning? to continuously adapt. And so if you think about team culture and team productivity as dimensions with these subdimensions, that's what our assessment tool measures teams against. And, um, and when we then, you know, that gives you a baseline understanding of the health of the team uh, against those dimensions, and then based on the topography of, of that report we're able to focus our intervention, if there is gonna be a team coaching engagement, for example, um, alongside it, we're able to craft an intervention that closes the necessary gaps to get that team to high performance. Um, The team doesn't necessarily need coaching, uh, that you you can train a leader to be able to self coach their own team. Um, and, And we're seeing a lot of organizations also try to bring that in house um, so enabling their talent development partners or their HR business partners to be able to um, provide feedback on the team effectiveness survey and, and intervene as well. Um, but that—that's in a nutshell how our um, our tool works and how we view teams. And what we're seeing uh, right now is teams actually really spiked in um, in productivity. Uh, so. You know, this is this is not new to anybody on this call. Like everybody's been working, you know, more somehow. Right. Because we're not commuting. We're not traveling. We're not going out to lunch. We're back to back to back to back It's part of the reason why we're so tired. Right. So that had a real um, um, lift for the productivity dimensions, but it came at a cost. And that's what we're seeing right now. And that cost is culture. Right. So the two didn't necessarily go up in tandem. And so right now, um, you know, we, we've seen sort of a crash in, in culture. Um, And so what we're doing with teams now, most teams we're working with, there's a disproportionate focus on culture dimensions relative to those productivity dimensions. All of it's important, but based on the the dynamics of, of, of the five pandemics.
0: Jonathan, we're out of time, but I don't care. (laughs) We have a few more minutes. I I wanna challenge a couple of things that you've said, or at least ask about it. Um, Do you have a few more minutes? I do. Okay, good. Yeah, we can go over. All right, so my audience knows I'm crazy. What the heck? Okay. Um, Like a fox, right? (laughs) Um, Culture in an organization, how do you feel as being part culture in a team? How do you feel as being part of the team? Okay. So my first question is, what dynamics are you looking at when you, when you examine how do you feel to be part of a team? Are you looking at um, the diversity of religion? Are you looking at the diversity of color are you looking at the diversity of knowledge um you know when when coaches are coaching people that might fall into any of these areas Mm -hmm. they're coaching them because they don't feel part of the team and has your as your assessment looking at why and how to change that that's one question all rolled up um the second question i had was it interests me when you said there was a spike in productivity, and I wondered, before you said anything else, was that because of the change in technology, more than in the change of behavior? What do I mean by that? When you're on Zoom, you're face to face. Now there's no looking at the total environment. There's no looking out the window. There's no you know, looking at what you're wearing, basically, it's like in your face, let's solve this now and move on. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, I'd like to say it's more concentrated thinking, unless you zoomed out. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the other hand, you were saying, if, if you are zoomed out and you have this exhaustion from being on zoom, then you might have a crash in productivity, but we're still seeing those numbers higher to the, to the, uh, to the degree that some companies are saying, screw the office. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna be doing this online. We don't need all this office space, right? Yeah. So they also saw an increase. Are you predicting that there'll be a crash in productivity? are you seeing it already or are you predicting it and how does the technology play a part a whole bunch of questions
1: yeah yeah <laughs> well i i i don't know if i'll be able to answer them all and i'm and and by the way you know i'm i'm also you know we're all going through this together so yes. I don't think anybody is the, you know, the owner, like, Oh, I'll tell you how it all works. You know, it's like, you know, we're all faced with this, uh, we're all experiencing this in real time. Right? Yeah. But this is village
0: um, coffee.
1: So. Yeah, I mean, so, so I, I, you know, on the team culture side and, and particularly as it pertains to diversity, um, I mean, you know, we, we know from just experientially, but also research that, Diversity is is actually heavily associated with, um, you know, team performance. Yes, um, right, it can it, be harnessed effectively. Yeah, right? it
0: could be the demise of a team, or could be the excellence of a team. Correct.
1: It's actually a lot easier to have a homogenous team if everybody looks like me and talks like me and thinks yes, exactly. me. It's so much easier. Oh, my God, it's so much easier. But no, we can go, no, we no, can go yeah. straight into a brick wall, right? Because yeah. everybody is thinking the same, yeah. right? And so the real business benefit of a diverse team, um, th- there's a lot of benefits, but probably, I mean, in my opinion, the greatest benefit is you have differing perspectives on a singular topic and through, you know, by, by, harnessing those perspectives, we're going to arrive at a conclusion that we never I never could have thought of Mm. on my own. Right. But that doesn't just happen. There's a lot that has to be done to make it feel safe for somebody who feels so different to be able to open their mouth and take some risk. Yes. Right. And that's that's fundamentally the concept of psychological safety right, or what we we think of as trust and safety, because psychological safety is very important, as is concepts and trust and reliability. Um, you know, the people we, are, we we're working with. So, um, so that's the piece that, uh, that really matters, you can't just have, a, you can't just have diversity, you have to have a psychologically safe environment so that that diversity is harnessed. And by the way, diversity, of course, um, you know, in, in, you know, in terms of race, um, but also and gender, which we hear about a lot, but I also think age diversity, huge, huge. Some of the biggest changes in my business has been when we, you know, when we brought in somebody who was like, you know, could be like the grandpa of, of, some, of some of the yeah. you know, millennials in our business. And it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe he's not as quick on, on Slack but wow, like the experiential knowledge and the wisdom and it, that in combination with some of the younger folks on the team has brought something about that not one or the other could do alone, right? And so age diversity, you know, gender, race, religion, ethnicity, it, it, it's all um, it's, it's all so important. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, as far as, you know, productivity, um, you know, I think that, you know, productivity, you know, for the companies that are coming back, I think productivity is getting a little bit dinged, actually, because we're in that transition, in flux. Um, But that's offset by, you know, spikes in culture and also a lot of creativity, because there's a lot of, you know, oh my, here, let me show you what I mean by that. Let me just draw this out on the marker before you know it. <laughs> Stuff's on that marker board that we weren't even aiming to address, um, which Zoom, you're, like you said, it's, it's narrow, it's targeted, it's laser focused on the topic at hand, right? <laughs> but when we're in person, for some reason, we're willing to, hey, can you come with me to just get a coffee? And all of a sudden we're talking about something else. And before you know it, something new has emerged in that conversation in such an organic way, right? That wouldn't have happened in a 45 minute or 30 minute zoom call with very specific agenda items. And I'm always looking straight at you. You're not walking together. Um, And so um, I do think things will ultimately even out um, as we, you know, find some homeostasis, but we're, you know, we've certainly not found uh, a, a, an equilibrium, um, um, yet, you know, we're right in that transition.
0: So my prediction is <laughs> Zoom is gonna allow you soon to have those walks around the corner, those virtual teas and those yeah. you know, writing right on your screen. Uh, I answered yep. you uh, Martin Lindstrom, Um, who's uh, the branding guru and I interviewed him and I had him uh, at the ACEC conference and he took out this marker and started writing so that people could see it on the screen.
1: That's so cool.
0: The attendees were like, whoa, stop. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's really cool.
0: Okay. Yeah,
1: I think we're gonna see some really, really cool technological innovation yeah. Um, because nothing really has been created to address hybrid, right? Meetings are still kind of weird when you got yeah. the TV there and some people in the room and do I look at those people and look at the TV with the camera. So I think uh, my, my sense is there'll be some really cool innovation yeah. on the way. coming
0: out of this, I can't wait. Hey, Jonathan, it's been a pleasure. Is there anything that you'd like to tell us about your company before we ring off?
1: Thanks for um, offering that. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're freaking passionate, CB, about our our mission, which is to help leaders navigate change and shape a better future. And, you know, we, we take a lot of pride in our expertise in helping leaders navigate change through executive coaching, team effectiveness, leadership development, um, but it's not just to stop there. It's not change for its own sake. It's really to, to help shape a better future. And, and that's where I get my energy. And, um, you know, being on this call was energizing because of you, but also because of everything you stand for. Um, and, uh, and so it, it's highly consistent with, you know, our, my, my purpose. And so I thank you very much for inviting me to be on your on your famous podcast. It is famous.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Well, um, this is out on LinkedIn Live. It worked today. It's It went out on Facebook, and it went out on YouTube. And later this week, it'll be on iHeartRadio and Apple Podcasts. So you are now considered famous. You can sign the autographs. <West.
1: laughs> All right. Thanks, CB. I really oh, appreciate okay. it. This was a lot of fun
0: thank Thank you you. well audience you have now heard from the jonathan and um so i hope you reach out to him on linkedin of course as well as the other medias uh, media areas that we uh have at our fingertips and find out more about his company and the incredible work that he's doing and of course Ask for the coaches that are part of ACEC. <laughs> Terrible. I know
1: it's <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Jonathan,
0: until we meet again, thank you so much. And audience, I think we're on next Tuesday. Thursdays we're taking off until September, but look for me on Tuesday. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Jonathan.
1: Thank you, CB. Bye, everyone.